Well, good morning, friends. Welcome to our time of gathered worship as the community of Fellowship Church. What a mild winter we're having, huh? Yeah, okay, thanks for laughing at that one. Um, <laughs> welcome to those of you here in person. Uh, glad you made it safely. And to those of you joining us online, um, unwilling to miss a gathering with God's people, we are glad that you've joined us um, via the live stream on this first day of the week as we gather to worship God. Friends, we love because God first loved us. We gather together in this place knowing that God is here first and is calling us to come and to become aware of God's presence, God's faithfulness, and God's love. Hundreds of years before Jesus came to earth, the prophet Isaiah foretold who the Messiah, the Christ, would be, both for the nation of Israel and for all nations. Isaiah spoke God's promise of the kind of ministry and mission that God's son would come to earth for. Friends, as we fix our eyes on Jesus this morning, I invite you to hear these words from the prophet Isaiah, pointing to the one who is our Lord, our Kyrios. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Friends, would you stand and let's give thanks to our God for the great things that Christ has done and continues to do. worship our King. Come, let us bow at His feet. He has done great things. See what our Savior has done. See how His love overcomes. He has done great things. He has done great things. Every chain, oh God, you have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awake and alive. Oh Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high. Oh God, you have done great things. I know you will do it again. 
Good morning, church, and happy winter palooza. It's a little snowy out there today. Glad to see you here or with us online. Uh, if you were to step into my office right now, you'd see a quote that I have written on the whiteboard. I've been stewing on it for a few weeks now. It comes from a partner in ministry in, here in town. His name is Winfred Burns, who's the senior pastor over at Maple Ave Ministries on the south side of town. And he said the same thing in two different ways recently, but the quote is basically this. He says, if the Holy Spirit is always agreeing with you, then something's wrong. And he said it again, saying, if the Bible is always agreeing with you, then something's probably wrong. The idea is that if we never experience conviction or a call from God to repent, to change, to seek reconciliation, to make amends, if my faith is always and only affirming who I already am, what I already believe, or how I typically act, then something's probably wrong. So today I want to invite you to take an inventory of your life, your thoughts, your words, and your deeds. If your life were like a forest full of beautiful and terrible things, I invite you to take a minute to wander into that forest and look around a bit. What do you find in the forest of your life that's not the way it's supposed to be? What do you see in your heart that the Holy Spirit can't, won't bless? What words have you spoken that are maybe the opposite of what Jesus would say? What deeds have you done that the Bible doesn't commend or affirm? in the forest of your life, among these thoughts, words, and deeds that you can't honestly say are godly, I wonder, what, what soil are these things growing in? What's causing our roots to twist or the pricklies to form or our fruit to rot? 
if God's designs for your life or my life were to genuinely come about, what needs to change? Where do we need forgiveness? Where do we need grace or hope? With these things in mind, I invite you to join me in a rather classic prayer of confession. Let's pray together. Eternal and merciful God, you have loved us with a love beyond our understanding. And you have set us on paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And yet we have strayed from your way. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed through the things that we have done and the things that we have left undone. And we have wandered away from your path. Yet we remember the cleansing water of our baptism, O God. And we praise you and give you thanks because your mercies are indeed new every morning. And we need you, O Lord, every day. So please grant us grace enough to die daily to our sin and hope enough to rise daily to new life in Christ. We pray these things in the strong and precious name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Friends, let's join together in singing, Lord, I need you.
Friends, if you found that journey into confession especially refreshing or just plain necessary, there's a card in your stuffed in your bulletin. Uh, you can also find this online uh, that can take you into the journey a bit more on your own if you'd like later. But for now, we join with the Apostle Paul in asking and answering a familiar question. Who is in a position to condemn? Only Christ. And Christ came into this world. He lived, he died, and he rose from the dead for us. And it is only Christ who can forgive our sins. And that is exactly what he came into this world to do. Thanks be to God. Let's stand together and sing what a friend we have in Jesus. life, death, and resurrection, that we have peace with God and peace with one another. My friends, the peace of Christ be with you. And please share a sign of Christ's peace as you feel comfortable.
Well, good snowy morning, Fellowship Church. It's good to, to be gathered with uh, some of you uh, here in person and also recognize that there are a slew of you online as well. As we noted, I think we're, we're about half as many in here and double as many online uh, <laughs> overall on Sunday mornings. And we want to extend a special welcome to those of you that are worshiping with us online. We're glad that you uh, c- can do that and we're grateful for the folks that helped to make that happen. But uh, we might not be as glad for you if you're from Florida, you can stay there. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> We're glad that you're here too. Uh, my name is Nate Skipper, and I'm one of the pastors here at Fellowship Church, where our mission is to love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. If you are new or visiting with us, we're glad you're here, and you can also fill out this connection card. But also, uh, you can, uh, if you're curious about what uh, Fellowship Church is trying to be, uh, all the more, um, you can come to our Discover Fellowship Cafe next Sunday on January 21 and learn a little bit more about Fellowship Church. There's information about that in the bulletin, uh, but also uh, online as well. Well, certainly, uh, I think we can all agree that today is a little bit of a unique day uh, and maybe of a a unique week uh, as well. You know, there are some of us that relish or are anticipating a great week in sports. You know, how about... um, Caitlin Clark, that's what I'm thinking about. Caitlin Clark last night crushed it for the Hawkeyes basketball and maybe some other teams that did particularly well this week. I I won't have to name them. I think you know what I'm talking about. But it was also, it's also unique because we are beginning our annual uh, process uh, to uh, discern uh, who might be on our consistory, uh, helping to lead our body together. Uh, and so we are looking uh, for uh, these little nomination cards that should have gotten in your bulletin or at the Welcome Center. And these are ways in which you can nominate someone that you might find uniquely qualified to be uh, an elder or deacon at Fellowship Church for such a time as this. Uh, and so that's the people that are eligible for that are members of Fellowship Church. There's a list of those folks on uh, the Welcome Center as well. Um, and that'll be for the next couple weeks, so you can join us in the future weeks for that unique opportunity. We also have a unique class that's starting up on Wednesday night. We're gonna kick off our community nights and we have a unique class that uh, we'd like to tell you a little bit more about it, but we're gonna let the teacher tell you about that in the form of a short little video. Check this out. Hello friends, Chris Corsi here. I'm a minister and the president of a ministry called Thrive Today where we train relational skills and I'm really excited about the upcoming Wednesday night classes because I'm going to lead a class called Bridges or Barriers, How Emotions Can Bring Us Together. That's right, how emotions can bring us together. And do you know, God designed us for emotions and often emotions get a bad reputation because when we don't know how to manage what we feel, emotions are something to be avoided or emotions can feel like stepping on a landmine. There's nothing fun about that. But what we're going to explore in this class is how God designed us for emotions to improve our relationships. And we're going to practice some relational skills to be the people of God who suffer well, who stay relational, who bounce back to joy when big emotions strike. So the good news is we don't have to be afraid of emotions. We don't have to avoid them. We just learn how to be the people of God who remember who we are while we navigate emotions. Chris, and uh, if you want to learn more about what uh, the class is about, uh, we actually have Jeff at the Welcome Center uh, who will be there uh, following the service. If you want to learn a little bit more about that, that'll be on Wednesday nights. 
Also, we have this morning a unique announcement, and for that, uh, Linda Milanowski-Westdorp, uh, the president, do, 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 is coming up to share with us a, a brief uh, announcement, uh, an announcement of celebration, you might say. And you need a microphone, of course. Ah! <laughs> you, you can call me Nico Collins. I crushed is this on? Yes, it is. Well, I am very happy to be here this morning. We are here to celebrate a couple of really important anniversaries amongst a couple staff members. Five and ten year anniversaries for Ross and for Steve. And I wonder if you could both join me over here. I lost Steve. I knew where he was sitting last. Oh, he, of course, he's in the tech center. Great, welcome. So as Steve is making his way up, I just wanted to recognize, I'll start with Ross, who's been here five years. Woohoo is right. And I was thinking about the time period of five years and what all has occurred. And when you think about it, Ross was our first entrance. While we had had multiple pastors in the past, Ross, his entrance started our shared leadership, pastoral leadership model. And that's a very brave thing to step into. And it's rare now. It was even more rare five years ago and since then has remained committed to the mission, which starts with God, committed to this team, works hard to be a good team member, committed to us as a congregation, and to welcoming the new members when they come in, which is a really special place. The other thing is Rusk provides leadership to Jess and the worship team. So we recognize Jess a lot in the whole notion of how we bring this service together in worship. Ross is also the glue across with all the pastors and the worship team. So we are so grateful for your leadership. And I know personally, a couple things that I notice is I'm just so appreciative of the combination of joy and love for God and also the depth in your sermons. And we get to um, appreciate your gifts in those and many other areas. So please join me in extending our gratefulness, not only to Russ, but also to his family. Some of his extended family happens to be here today. So we just want to extend our appreciation to you and for joining us and staying with us. Thank you. Over on my right with Steve, whenever we talk about this, we both have very great memories of the first time we met, which was in his interview 10 years ago in the back hall over there. And Steve is just our jack of all trades who serves with such joy and love. He came to us from Zealand Public Schools uh, in administration and technology. And yet Steve, someone between services said, Steve is the glue. And from everything to talking for three days about are we going to close or not on Sunday to all of a sudden we show up and the sidewalks are perfectly clear right up here by the doors. Somebody has that connection to make sure that that happens and the technology and the music and so many other things. And I know that not only as a congregation do we appreciate Steve, I know the staff appreciates Steve and all that he brings. So once again, we're grateful for you, for your family that you continue to share your gifts with fellowship. Please join me in thanking Steve.
And thank you, Linda, for uh, being willing to share about those two guys. It's a joy to work with them, but I know that both of them would say thanks be to God uh, for God's faithfulness in stewarding this congregation and being a part of a community that celebrates our small acts of faithfulness and compared to his ultimate acts of faithfulness among us. One way in which we also can respond to God's faithfulness in our lives is in the giving of our tithes and offerings. And I want to share with you one cool um, statistic that we discovered recently. There's over 50 households at Fellowship Church in, the Latin, in 2023 that gave in an alternative way, you might say. We call them non-deductible gifts. And these are gifts uh, from a charitable gift uh, fund uh, that uh, you, you give to, you can, uh, or they're gifts of stock, or they're gifts from an IRA distribution. These are all ways in which folks are utilizing some um, uh, tools to give uh, in an even more beneficial way with their taxes. If you'd like to learn more about these alternative ways of giving, uh, feel free to talk to anyone on staff. We'd love to share with you, uh, but we're grateful for the 50 plus folks that uh, tried that on uh, in 2023. Well, this morning we uh, are gonna press on with Sunday school for three years uh, through eighth grade. Uh, so uh, all those unique children of God are free to go as the rest of us stand and sing together.
may be seated. <clears throat> Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the opportunity to gather together with friends, um, to worship you, to sing your praises, to um, confess our sins to you, um, and to receive your peace and your grace and to extend it to one another. Lord, we are also grateful for the opportunity to study the scriptures, and as we turn toward those scriptures this morning, we pray that you would open our eyes that we might see, that you would open our ears that we might hear, that you would open our hands that we might serve, and that you would open our hearts that we might love. In the name of Jesus Christ, we all pray. Amen. Good morning, fellowship. If I have not yet met you, my name is Tiara. I'm one of the pastors here. And this morning, we are in the second week of a sermon series that we are calling Curios. Uh, repeat after me, Curios. Uh, it's a Greek word. Do you know what it means? Lord, who said that? Anyways, 10,000 fellowship points to you, Kathy Hamilton. Uh, so <laughs> you can get coffee out in the atrium when, when the service is over. Uh, so uh, we we're exploring Jesus as Lord or Kyrios. Uh, last week, Reverend Skipper kicked us off uh, with Jesus' call of the disciples in Mark chapter one. Uh, we were invited to consider the possibility that faith in this Christ is worth betting on. And in this week, we're gonna be in Mark chapter two and we discover a group of friends who also think faith in this Christ is worth betting on. Uh, they're actually the kind of friends that you want in your life. They're the kind of friends who, if there's an emergency at 3 a.m., uh, no matter what it is, they're with you. They show up with the shovels, ready to move the body first, ask questions later. Hopefully you're not moving bodies, but you get the point. Uh, having good friends matters a ton. Since the beginning of time, humanity has regarded friendship as essential for the good life, as essential for the soul. Uh, in fact, we read about this in Proverbs 27, <coughs> where it says, uh, oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Closely related to the concept of friendship is wisdom, which is why choosing the right friends is as essential as having them. In Proverbs chapter 12, one who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Proverbs 22, similarly, make no friendship with a person given to anger, nor go with a wrathful person, lest you learn their ways and entangle yourself in a snare. I managed to find a couple modern day proverbs from the, from the National Park Service, uh, like this one. Uh, in nature, bison pet you if you get too close. Uh, or this one, don't go chasing waterfalls. Cautiously approach and be careful of slippery conditions. In fact, you may want to just stick with the rivers and the lakes that you're used to. <laughs> or this one, which is a little bit more on the topic of friendship. If you come across a bear, never push a slower friend down, even if you feel the friendship has run its course. Uh, and lastly, this one, hike in groups, because bears like to have options. <laughs> so funny content to drive social media engagement aside, I'd like to think of life and faith as kind of like this, life and faith as a trek, as a hike of sorts, as an adventure. Uh, and if that's the case, then we all need a group for the journey, a pack, if you will, a pack of friends. Friendship is essential for the soul. And yet in our own time, friendship is increasingly hard to come by. We have fewer friends than ever, according to uh, Pew Research, uh, fewer friends than ever. Um, and um, we spend less time with them than in previous gener generations, according to the Surgeon General's most recent report. Uh, on the next slide there, Bob. Um, oh, uh, next slide then. 
There we go. We're going to sink my sermon in the slides at some point. <laughs> but fewer, we spend less time with um, not just friends, but all of our social connections than we have in previous generations, which means that we're spending more time alone um, than we did in previous generations. And and we are less likely to feel like we are known by, now the previous slide, less likely to feel like we're known by the people um, in our lives. Um, if we can go back to that previous slide. Um, less likely to feel like they are, that we're in meaningful connections with them. Um, less likely to feel like they know us well. Um, we report um, also uh, recently in 2018 so less likely, to have fewer, less likely to have friends or fewer friends, spending less time with them in previous generations, spending more time alone than in previous generations, and less likely to be known on a deeper level or be in what we call meaningful relationships. Um, in today's text, I think we encounter one of Jesus' greatest miracles, so great that it makes it into all four of the Gospels. And at the heart of it, at the heart of it is friendship. As we grow further and further apart from the people in our lives, I think one of Jesus' greatest miracles actually has something to teach us about friendship. So here are the word of the Lord from Mark chapter 2, picking up in verse 1. And when Jesus had returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And Jesus was preaching the word to them, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. <laughs> and when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this guy speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they were questioning him within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And the man rose and immediately picked up his bed and he went out before them all so that all were amazed and glorified God saying, we have never seen anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this morning's text finds us in quite the hot exchange between the scribes and Jesus. Uh, they're gathered together in Jesus's home in Capernaum. Uh, some scholars think they're in Jesus's home in Capernaum where Jesus is now teaching the crowds who have found him. They Googled his address, they found him and they've gathered at his home and he begins to unpack the scriptures for them. Uh, and then there's a man who's lowered through his roof. Uh, it's a soft roof. Uh, people dig through it. They lower him through the roof. Uh, and when, when Jesus sees the faith of the man's friends, he says directly, to the guy, son, your sins are forgiven. And at this, the scribes are unbelievably miffed. He's a blasphemer, they say. Who can forgive sins except for God alone, they wonder. Now, some of us are so familiar with this story that we kind of forget that the order of events, the sequence of events is actually a little bit odd. Like who asked about forgiveness in the first place? And why doesn't Jesus just simply heal the guy first like his friends were presumably requesting? And why are the scribes so angry when Jesus pronounces forgiveness over the guy? Well, the answer to this question has a little bit to do with the fact that Jesus in the view of the scribes and potentially even the people is a teacher and not God. And also because Jesus is a man, not God, and a teacher and not a priest. Ordinarily, it was a priest who pronounced forgiveness on behalf of God, and forgiveness couldn't be pronounced outside of the temple, and certainly not without offering the sacrifices, the prerequisites of sacrifices in the temple. 
Now, there were five main sacrifices which we read about in Leviticus. Leviticus 1 through 7. Those of you who are in an immersed group, you can skip these when you get there. Uh, so Leviticus 1 through 7, uh, there's five sacrifices. Uh, the first is the ascension offering. Uh, in the ascension offering, uh, you would bring an unblemished animal, and that unblemished animal uh, would be offered, the entire animal offered on the altar by the priest, uh, by smoke, this entire animal will be lifted up into the heavens, into the presence of God. And it was almost like you yourself would be lifted up into heaven, into the presence of God, because the animal represented you. In the ascension offering, you would offer the entire animal as a symbol of your total surrender to God. Next was the gift offering. The gift offering is where you would bring your grain or sometimes your veggies, your fruit, whatever it is, whatever crop it is that your family grew. As some of you come from families that grew asparagus here in West Michigan, uh, whatever your family grew, you would bring a portion of it to the temple and the priest would take a handful of the portion that you brought and throw it on the altar. And then the rest of it would be given to the priests and their families to feed them. In the gift offering, you were saying, thank you to God for the bountiful harvest that you had waiting for you back at home that he had blessed you with. Then there's the peace offering. In the peace offering, you would bring an unblemished animal too. Only this time, the priest would burn just a tiny portion of it and not even the best part of it. The best part of it, the priest would give back to you. And then the priest would tell you to go fire up the grill and then invite your friends and your family and your neighbors. And not just your friends, your family, and your neighbors, but even your poor neighbors your widowed neighbors, your orphan neighbors. And all of you would gather together at a table and you would eat, you would prepare and you would eat a feast together. And this feast and the peace offering was like a presence, like you feasting in the presence of God and the peace offering, you were creating a glimpse of God's perfect peace and shalom over a meal with not only old friends, but new friends. So that's the peace offering. Next is the purification offering, sometimes called the sin offering. The idea behind this one is that our sin isn't just some action that we do. It's not just a deed that we do, but that it contaminates things. It vandalizes something. It pollutes and corrupts something. And so because sin pollutes something like us, our souls and our relationships, and even the cosmos, um, the cosmos has to be purified of sin. The temple was like a microcosm of the cosmos. The temple was built to reflect creation, to be a symbol for creation. And so in the purification offering, the blood of an unblemished animal was used to purify the temple. In the purification offering, you recognize that your sin isn't just about you and your actions, but about something that vandalizes or pollutes your soul and also creation too, and even mars the temple of God for those who follow after this God. So that's the purification offering. And then there's lastly, the repair offering. It's where you would make restitution for the wrongs against God and others. Like if you sinned unintentionally against God, but then realized it later, or maybe you sinned against God by wronging a neighbor. Maybe you found something that belonged to a neighbor and then you kind of said it was yours, kind of fibbed a little bit. Or, or maybe you even damaged something that belonged to a neighbor. Um, in the repair offering, you would bring a ram plus a fifth of the value of the thing that was damaged to the temple. And if there was a neighbor involved, you would also have to go and find your neighbor and bring your neighbor as a witness for the reparation offering that you were making. If your neighbor, uh, and you would offer your sacrifice to the priest with the neighbor standing there. In the repair offering, your repair, you repair what was broken, making restitution for your wrongs against God and against your neighbors and God. Now, 
You may be wondering, what on earth does this have to do with Jesus and miracles and friendship? Yep, the scribes are sort of asking the same question, partly because by this point, the scribes and most of the people had forgotten the point of the sacrifices. We see it a little bit more clearly in the light of Christ in something like 2,000 years of hindsight. Uh, But the sacrifices were given as gifts of God, from God, we read, uh, by which the people could atone for their souls. But the point of the sacrifices wasn't just to grill a bunch of meat and veggies at the temple. Uh, It had something to do with this funny little word, uh, korban. Repeat after me, korban. Korban comes from the root word, uh, we're going to say karab, uh, and it means as a verb to bring near. Uh, Karab means to bring near, but when you turn it into a noun, when you turn it into a noun, it means the thing that brings you near. So you could translate it as offering, or you could translate it as sacrifice, but what you're actually saying is the thing that brings you near. The offerings, the sacrifices are the things that bring you near to God. In fact, God says as much to Moses in Leviticus chapter one. Uh, When you bring near the things that bring you near to the Lord, you shall bring near your thing that brings you near to me. The point of the sacrifices was always, always to bring us near to the God who wants to be near to us, to bring about communion with God and God's people or friendship. Now you might be thinking, why sacrifice at all? Because, well, back in Genesis, after sin had entered into the world, the way back into God's presence, who remembers what blocks the path back to Eden? Who remembers? There's an angel. It's a big, huge, muscular angel. And the angel has a flaming sword, literally a flaming sword, blocks the way. And now in Leviticus, that flaming sword becomes an altar by which God's people were granted access back into God's presence. And that flaming sword becomes an altar upon which sacrifices are made. Now, that flaming sword sounds kind of scary, but it's actually a gift to us. It's a gift that's given to you, acclimate us to God's holy presence. Here's what I mean. For an example, years ago, I went to Cancun for a wedding, uh, similar to Reverend Dieleman not too long ago. And uh, I went in, I think it was like May or June, And ordinarily, I go to the beach here with my friends, and um, my friends are a little taller than me. Um, I I am tall being a a reference for uh, fair-skinned, more fair-skinned than me. And so usually they're like lathering on the sunscreen, and they're like, you want some? And I'm like, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. (laughs) Usually, I throw on a little SPF 30 on my face once, and then I just go the whole day. Uh, Well, I'm thinking I'm probably going to do the same thing in Cancun. Uh, I'm going to do SPF 30 on my face, and that's it. And I'm just going to show up on the beach in Cancun. What nobody told me was that the sun in Cancun Cancun is like on steroids, and it's taking pre-workout. Like, it is so unbelievably hotter than it is here in West Michigan. Uh, It is so incredibly hot. Now, uh, if you're going to be that close to the sun, you have got to layer on the sunscreen. And even those of us with a little bit more melanin in our skin would be foolish to think that we could just like lay on the beach in Cancun without sunscreen. Your skin will die. The sun will torch your skin. God's holy presence is kind of like that. God wishes to dwell with us, but you and I have gotten so used to the sin and the brokenness in our world that the holiness of God's presence, the goodness, the pure goodness of God's presence um, becomes like the sun in Cancun to us. 
it torches us. It literally torches us. Similarly, God's people were so used to the sin and brokenness of Egypt, of their captivity in Egypt, that they needed practices or, or something like sacrifices and offerings that would teach them, that would teach them um, how to acclimate to God's holy presence. And for as long as God's people could remember, those practices were those sacrifices. They were the thing that brought you near. But here's the challenge. While the sacrifices were graciously given by God to atone for our souls and even accepted by God for centuries, they couldn't quite eradicate the sin and brokenness in our souls. A better sacrifice and a more effective cleansing agent would be needed. You see, the sacrifices were never the point. Indeed, the sacrifices couldn't be the point but merely pointed to the one who is. The one who says to the man on the mat, son, your sins are forgiven. So why are the scribes so upset? Because Jesus is claiming for himself the authority to welcome sinners back into the presence of God and even more, even sinners who aren't bringing lambs and rams and goats to the temple. This is blasphemy. This is straight up heresy, they say. And remember, the Torah is very clear on how sinners can find their way back into the presence of God. And it is through no other path than a flaming sword of the altar. And no one, not even the high priest, had the authority to circumvent those, to, those practices, to change the liturgy or to create an alternative path. Indeed, when Aaron's sons read in, Luke, or, um, in Leviticus 10, Aaron is the first high priest of Israel. When his sons attempt to change the liturgy between services, they are smitten by God and not in the cute Hallmark Channel sort of way. Um, only God could forgive sins or designate the path for forgiving sins. Only God could welcome sinners back into his presence. And so this is actually kind of a conundrum. It's quite the conundrum. You can sort of see why the scribes are going, wait a second, who does this guy think he is? But Jesus says that he can do this precisely because he's the son of man. Jesus pulls on the son of man language from um, a vision in Daniel chapter seven. And he not so subtly says to the scribes that the ancient of days, that's code for God, the ancient of days has granted him the authority to earth, on earth to forgive sins, um, to usher in the kingdom of God and to do so by welcoming people back into the presence of God through the forgiveness of sins. Elsewhere, Christ whispers um, in, the, in, the God, in, Mark, in Mark's gospel that he is the Lord. But here, when a lost soul is at stake, he defiantly, defiantly pronounces. He is the son of man with the authority to forgive sins. Here, he says that he is the Lord. This itinerant preacher with the hole in his roof is the curios. He is the one who forgives sins and the one through whom they're ultimately forgiven. And to prove that he has the authority to forgive sins, he tells the man to take up his mat and to walk, and he does. And not only does the man, but also the onlookers, and especially his friends, they begin to glorify God. A word on friendship. You might say that the entirety of the scriptures is about friendship. It begins there in Genesis 1 and 2 with friendship with God and God's people. And then you get all the way to Revelation 21 and 22, and it ends there, Garden City, friendship with God and God's people. And everything in the pages in between is about how to help sinners, people who are plagued and oppressed by sin and brokenness in themselves and in the world, how to help them move through the flaming sword back into friendship with God and one another. You might almost liken it to a summit of sorts. 
Um, everything in between, everything in the scriptures is pointing to eternal communion with God and God's people. And that becomes almost like um, the quest of a lifetime for us. That is what our journey of faith is all about. Um, in fact, there's a really, really smart guy, Old Testament guy named El Mal uh, Michael Morales, and he uh, likens um, eternity to a mountain summit, um, which he had me at Leviticus, but then you throw in mountain summit, and I'm like all over it. But um, when he says that the presence of God um, in eternity, God and God's people, is like a mountain summit. And so then you begin, just follow the metaphor for a bit. Um, if faith, if the faith journey um, is culminating in that, then it means that eternity with God and God's people is the purpose and the content for our truest friendships. Um, it also means that um, if adventurers in our national parks shouldn't hike alone, neither should we as faithful followers of Jesus. We need each other. We need our pack. We need each other to make the journey, to navigate the treacherous things out there and even the treacherous things in here. Last week when Reverend Skipper sat down, I joked with him that he missed a perfectly good chance to cite Aristotle and Aquinas. And Skipper being the great friend that he is, he's like, no, you, I, I saved it for you. So uh, thank you for being, he's been such a great friend. Uh, <laughs> uh, but seriously, uh, Aristotle says that the truest form of friendship uh, isn't rooted in merely who's useful to us and for what we can get out of them. And it isn't even rooted in who's easily delightful to us. You know, the people who kind of get our inside jokes like without us having to explain them. Yeah, it's not rooted even in that. It's actually rooted in virtue. That true friendship, true friendship is where we love the friend for the friend's sake. And we want, we want the good for the friend. And we don't just want the good. We don't just wish the good for the friend. We will it, which means we fight for it. We go to the extreme of even being willing to fight for it, you know, like dig through a roof for it. Um, and that true friendship is rooted not in utility and not even in delight, but in virtue. Christ says it this way, that true friendship is rooted in his redemptive work within us, both now and also in the future, both for those who have found the body of Christ and also those who are still on the way. But I wonder, though, if this is the way that our world picks friends. We are in the midst of what we're calling a loneliness epidemic. And one of the things that you can't help but notice is that um, our world is growing increasingly apart. And some of it is because of maybe we just forgot how to choose friends. Um, studies have shown that we are dropping friends who think like differently than us, who vote differently than us. Um, our friends are most likely to look like us, skin color, socioeconomic status. Um, our friends are most likely to be the people who we maybe grew up with, maybe went to school with. Um, and because of that, we're choosing friends who look like us. We might be missing some people who don't look like us or speak like us or watch the same things as us or get the same reels on Instagram as us but who are somehow the people that God wants to knit us to because he has designated them, ordained them to be a part of our pack who helps us get to eternity. Our world picks friends differently than the church does. But Jesus says that the truest friends are those who lay down their lives for their friends. Paul says a true friend is a friend who carries your burdens even as you carry your own burdens. Jude says a friend is the person who reaches in and snatches you out of the fire for the sake of your soul. God says through Moses, and Moses says to the people eventually, that a true friend is not the person who has anything to offer to you. They're orphaned, they're widowed, they have no resources, no connections of merit for you, but yet they are the people who feast at your table. 
The scriptures tell us that true friends are the people who advise us, the people who guard our souls, the people who walk alongside us, not shaming us, but gently guiding and protecting, gently guiding and guarding our souls. And these friends are the ones who fight for us. These friends are the ones who dig through a roof for us. These friends are the ones who help us take the next faithful step in the faith journey. A really fun metaphor for this that I want to share with you. Um, actually, I, uh, years ago, I, um, I mentioned this to a couple of y'all. I was on a trail solo. Uh, I know, irony. And uh, I, I slipped off the trail, broke my ankle, tore a ligament, and I didn't know it was broken at the time. I thought I just sprained it. But nonetheless, it took me a very, very long time to kind of keep making my way down the trail. And eventually, hours later, uh, park rangers got there just two. They also thought I sprayed it, so they sent two park rangers, and the lead park ranger kind of assessed the injury. You know, tell me what happened. What did you hear when this happened? Like, <laughs> did you hear like a popping sound? I'm like, no, it was a crack. He's like, oh, okay. Uh, so he's convinced that my ankle's broken, but he doesn't tell me because he doesn't want to scare me, and he wraps it in this like makeshift cast, um, and then he tells me what, what's going to happen. He's like, you know, I've got some crutches. We're going to crutch down. We're, we're not in a place where we can land a helicopter, so nobody's airlifting anyone out. Thank God for like not having a bill from that. Um, but he's like, I'm going to give you crutches. We're going to crutch down. And then when we get to the rocky places. I'm going to toss you on your back. And, or toss, me, toss you on my back. And I'm like, I don't think you're going to do that. I'm a lot heavier than I look. And um, but nonetheless, he's confident that's what's going to happen. And, and then we set off. He hands me the crutches. And, um, and then he turns and he, like, he, he's facing me. And he, does, he kind of places his hands on my shoulders. And then he literally for hours, I'm not kidding, like, seven hours, he backs down a mountain, spotting me as I crutch down. I've thought about that moment in my life, um, that ordeal for a, a number of times, um, and have, have kind of minded and trying to figure out, like, what was it that God was teaching me in that? Um, I talked to my therapist about it a lot. Uh, <laughs> but one of the things that I, I realized was that that was actually a perfect image of what a friend is. Um, a friend is the person who shows up in the middle of the night. A friend is the person who um, doesn't try to rescue you out of the thing that you're in, but actually walks alongside you in it. A friend is the person who helps you figure out the next step. Um, and then the friend is also the one who carries your pack. The friend is the one who, um, one of them had a pistol on their hip for, you know, bears and mountain lions and stuff. They guard you. They guard you. They protect you. Um, and a friend is ultimately the person who just spots you and just helps you take whatever the next step is. Um, I have so many people in my life who have done that for me. Um, and I think the church is ultimately the place where um, that happens the most fruitfully. Um, friends who have linked arms with me and helped me to take the next step. Friends who have fought for my faith when I was too weak to fight for it myself. Friends who have asked me hard questions. Um, friends who have spoken God's forgiveness over me in moments where I have erred. And also friends who have spoken God's compassion um, and mercy and, and love over me in moments and mercy over me in moments when I was receiving the consequences of someone else's actions. Um, these, are the people who, um, these are the people who showed up with a shovel for me. Um, and I'm guessing you guys have some people like that in your life too. Um, I think God smiles on our friendships because I think God ordains friendships for certain seasons of our lives and sometimes even for the entirety of our lives. Um, I think Jesus smiles on the friendships of even this man. Because in many ways, uh, these four friends bringing their friend to Jesus is an image of what he was going to do himself. Jesus blesses the faith of the man's friends because their actions demonstrate what he was about to do. 
which was quite literally put us on his back and carry us into the presence of God on his merit, on his blamelessness, on his sinlessness. He is the perfect blameless sacrifice who pays our debt. He is the blood that purges sin from every nook and cranny of our world and even of our souls. He is the Christ that looked into each and every one of our faces when we were hopeless and helpless and pitiful, dressed in dirty, smelly rags on a mat, unable to stir and move ourselves. And somehow, in all of the muck of all of the sin and the brokenness and the shame, he still looked at us and he saw himself in our faces. And because of that, he says to us, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Son, your sins are gone. The grace and the mercy and the compassion of our God is lavished upon us through the one who has the authority to forgive sins, to declare them gone once and for all, and to, with his blood, by his spirit, to cleanse our souls so that the source itself is completely eradicated eventually, day by day. Jesus is the friend who always fights for our souls and our truest friends. Our truest friends will do the same. Would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are so grateful that the core, the core of, of you, our Lord, in the Trinity is love and friendship, and that you didn't hoard that friendship for yourself, but that you extended it to us, these mere muggles, these dirt creatures who um, tried to go our own way, and yet you still faithfully persisted and insisted on communing and dwelling with us in love and friendship. And so thank you for the Christ who dies for our friendship to be renewed. Thank you for the Christ who sends his spirit to dwell within our souls so that we can learn to love one another um, and to learn to love you um, and to do so for the rest of our days um, until we come into your presence um, forever. And so thank you, Lord, for friendship with you and thank you for friendship with one another and thank you for friendship even with those who have not yet gathered with us yet. In the name of Jesus Christ, we all pray, amen. Pastor Tierra said that true friendship is rooted in the redemptive work of Christ. The bridge in this next song, it says, we are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by God's grace. It's true that when Jesus restores our friendship with God, we can share together in friendship with one another and enjoy in the house of the Lord. Would you stand and let's sing together. to the God who heals. 
saves. We sing to the God who always makes a way. Cause he hung upon that cross, then he rose up from that grave. My God still rolling stones away. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. We were the beggars. Now we're royalty. We were the prisoners. Now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted by his grace let the house of the Lord sing praise cause we were the beggars now we're royalty we were the prisoners now we're running free we are forgiven accepted redeemed by his grace let the house of the Lord sing praise joy in the house of the Lord today, and we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place, and we won't be quiet. We're going to shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today, and we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise, there's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place, and we won't be quiet. We shout out your Friends, one final blessing for us this morning. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace.